Yeah, here. We're fine. Most of us, i.e. comedians, treat open mics as a necessary evil. But not Silas P. Every week, Silas talks to a veteran of the sights, sounds, and smells of the Philly open mic scene, sharing stories of momentary triumph and lingering failure with enough shit talk sprinkled in to make you listen to hear your name. I'm like 35% sure that I'm in there. So pay attention, hang out in the room, and maybe you'll learn why you got bumped on the launching pod. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Mike from Get in the Garage. Welcome to episode number four, where we will be covering... Deep Purple. Deep Purple. My man Luke across the table from me with a fat stack of records, and we are going to get ready. We're, uh, we're going to try to do like a mini-series type thing here where we cover... Uh, Deep Purple, because uh, they're they're kind of a weird, wacky band. They've been through a lot of different phases. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna tell a story. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I don't know. As a like a person of this era, I feel like a lot of the youth of today really just know smoke in the water because it's the first thing they learn. Yep. And then we're just like, yep, that's all Deep Purple really is. And I feel like there's a rich history. Um, there's a lot of good music in there. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. And uh, we're going to talk about all three incarnations of this band. Um, we're going to talk about Mark 1 lineup, Mark 2 lineup, Mark 3 lineup. And if you're asking what does that even mean, well, we'll tell you all along the way. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it's, it was a long, complicated journey, I think, for both of us to, to just be like, all right, let's really... Do yeah. a deep dive into Deep Purple. And but uh, I feel like we're really doing this because me and Mike are, are big fans of Deep Purple. And uh, I feel like a lot of people should be talking up Deep Purple when, you know, we're talking. Yeah. Listen, I feel like this is one of the big issues with Deep Purple and their legacy is you usually can't get a Deep Purple shirt at Kohl's or Walmart where you can buy a Black Sabbath or a Led Zeppelin shirt. Mm. And I feel like that is a big legacy issue. Also, the band is currently still playing so that is also you know what i mean it yeah. like kind of leaves that like where those other bands aren't really touching it i mean sabbath whatever but yeah yeah and the thing is is like what's interesting about them as well is that you know there there was a lot of personnel changes that included other bands like black sabbath like white snake like rainbow you yeah. know so we're gonna talk we'll you know, yeah, we're gonna mix all those. Deep Purple's bands a lot bigger in. than Deep Purple, even though it's kind of like the yeah, you know, one of the the beginnings. Yeah, we're know. we're gonna tell you every reason we love Deep Purple. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I think we're gonna maybe do like uh, two or three parts on this, and uh, you know, yeah. Well, why don't we get into it, man? Uh, Let's get into it. Shades of Deep Purple. Shades of Deep Purple. The first album released in 1968. Yes. Okay, so we have Shades of Deep Purple. The band comes together. This other band comes together, Mike. Um, this businessman was like, I'm going to put together a group, a super group. So yeah. everyone in Deep Purple had played in kind of like other bands that weren't like super successful, but maybe had released like a seven inch. Da, 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 da. Yeah. You know, so this guy's like, I'm going to put together a band of super groups or a super group together. And he gets 
all of the members of Deep Purple kind of together, but this guy kind of uh, loses his mind, uh, an acid casualty, as oh, we would call them. Too much too often. <laughs> too much tuna, as they say. <laughs> too, <yeah. laughs> and uh, he kind of leaves the picture, and then Deep Purple yeah. is standing around going, well, we're all here, so we might as well just, you know, <laughs> might as well just keep playing. So Deep Purple gets together in 68. Um, they get signed by this American company. Uh, Michael, do, do you want to do you want to give me a pronunciation on this? Because like, right, I've been looking at this label for years, and this. this is one of those ones, guys, I'm not afraid to admit. I have no idea how to pronounce this record label. Oh, this is a weird one. Tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton Records? Yeah. So long story short, record. this this record label in the U.S. pretty much picks up Deep Purple before they even have a, their, their record out in the U.K. Um, and this record label is, you know, uh, owned by Bill Cosby pretty much. So Bill Cosby is propping up this record label that Deep Purple's on and Ooh. his manager. And That's then some like... age very well. Yeah. Well, it doesn't really age well, but you know, it's the story, man. Whatever. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> All the terribleness aside, yeah, uh, that's the record label that picks Deep Purple up. Um, they're a pretty small label, and um, they have great success with their first single, Hush. Um, this pretty much causes them to get picked up in the UK by EMI, and that's who's putting them out in the UK. But um, really, they're misfits when they first come out in the mm. UK. Um, yeah, they're not. They're not. They don't seem to be liked very likes, much by their no, peers. Nobody likes them. Um, but in the U.S., people are like, yeah, we dig this, man. Yeah. You know, they're down to it. But um, also in the U.S., you know, Cream is way, you know, Cream's big in the U.K., but it's like the, we're getting more into that hard rock psych thing. Yeah. Um, San Francisco sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and this first album sounds a lot, has has some characteristics uh, with another band f- from the U.S. called Vanilla Fudge, um, mostly in the McCartney covers or the McCartney cover er. Uh, what do they do? They do help on their first album, Shades of Deep Purple. Yeah. Uh, they also cover uh, a Hush, obviously the big hit in America that was yeah. also a cover. Um, if you don't know, Vanilla Fudge was a band that was based on covers. They would take uh, pop songs of the day and they would throw them through a psychedelic filter and slow them down and make them heavy. Yeah, uh, a notable cover, um, Vanilla Fudge, Keep Me Hanging On. Yeah, that's, right? that was their big single. That was the big day. one, yeah. It's killer, too. You can look it up on YouTube. It's it's. I mean, it's dramatic. Uh, it's very... Ticket to Ride, guys. It's the way to go. Okay. Ticket to Ride. It's super heavy. And... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, 68 Shades of Deep Purple comes out, but 68, also the second album... Uh, what is it? The Book of Talison comes out. Yeah. Um, let's also let's take the let's take a minute. Let's slow down, Michael. Okay. See, I'm quick to get. See, you're, this is, you're jumping the gun on me. I'm here. just I'm a machine head at heart, you know. <laughs> so I'm trying to. <laughs> All right. Now we gotta lay down the band members here, man. You yeah. have on guitar. Who's on guitar, Mike? Richie Blackmore. Richie Blackmore on guitar. Yeah. So. Richie Blackmore comes in. He is a pretty clean guitar player. Um, I would say that he is running more like classical scales than most guitar players. Yeah, I but would say. But this also yeah. is probably due to who's on keyboards and who's on keyboards in this band. Our man, John Lord. John, Rest in peace. John Lord. Yeah. One I of the John greatest Lord. keyboard players of all time. Yeah, he's, I mean. And that's yeah. what really sets up Deep Purple. It's like, I feel like at, at the turn of, we'll get there, but the turn of the 70s, that's what 
really sets Deep Purple apart is that they still really have a keyboard player from the 60s era. Yeah, and, and like, heavy organ keyboard, you know, like... Yeah, run it through a Marshall stack, man. <laughs> yeah, like, which it's, is crazy, It's man. awesome. That's it's, crazy. It's guitar, keyboards. It's yeah. really cool. Um, okay, also in this band is... Ian Pace, one of my favorite drummers of all time. And people sleep on Ian Pace, man. Yes, and, fun, and he was a lefty. Yep. Fun fact before we also get really rolling in here. Ian is the only one that's on every single album consistently throughout the whole time, oh, yeah, even huh? to this day. Yeah. So that's a pretty cool fact. Yeah, he's always been in the band. Yes. Okay. And here are the band members that rounded out. We have Rod Evans on the vocals. Yep. And Nick Simper on the bass. Now, we are kind of talking to these members in a different light because these guys don't last the whole time. They're on the first three records, um, and they serve the band well during this period. I feel like the bass playing is great. The singing yeah. isn't bad on the on these albums. I feel like uh, when it does get there, you know, we'll talk about it. It is just a, a maybe it's a style preference at that point or yeah. even like a lifestyle preference. So... All right, Shades of Deep Purple comes out. Um, Hush is a hit in the United States. They're doing. They're an underground band in the UK. Nobody likes them. They're not cool. But um, <laughs> nobody likes them. They're not cool. No, no. So that's that's what's happening, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, no. It kind of yeah, is what it is. And so their U.S. record labels like, well, you guys got a hit. We're a small label. We're gonna send you guys over here, and you're gonna tour and yep. tour and tour. And so. That's happening in well, actually, let's talk about even how big of a hit Hush was. It was number four on on the album charts, which is, I mean, on yeah. the singles charts, which is, you know, that's a really big single. That's significant, man. Yeah, I would I'd say definitely say so. Um, second album, they need a second album because they need to go tour the United States again. Yeah. So the record label is like, we're broke. You have a hit. Let's get an album out, and we're gonna send you over here. And that's what happens. Uh, the second album, Mike, give me that tr- give me that pronunciation, please. Uh, yeah, the Book of Taliesin. Okay, and it's a we. This is like the prog rock nerd in me was so was so like, oh, this this has got to be. Yeah, let's talk about the know. content. So the band hasn't been a band that long. Their record label's like, well, guys, let's do another one really fast. We got to get a product out. We got to make money because this is uh that's the business back then. They're running really fast with the budget. And because they had a hit, they really went into Deep Purple to record more music. So the second album, Mike, what were your impressions? Uh, I think that you can kind of you you he, you can kind of hear a little bit. I would say the comparison that I would draw it to is sort of like you know when you listen to early Pink Floyd, you can hear a little bit of what's to become Dark Side of the Moon in the earlier works. Likewise, with this, you can hear a little bit of what's to become of Deep Purple and like the Machine Head or like say in rock style uh, poking its head through a little bit like kentucky woman is oh, killer also on the first album guys i forgot to point out mandrake root oh yeah is like quintessential deep purple yeah. all the way through it sounds like something that could be on machine head it is a that's a great tune yeah. uh seek that out mandrake root off of shades of deep purple yeah it's killer but um i found that the second album too kind of um maybe leaned in to the vanilla fudge angle a little hard on some songs because yeah. uh, what's the uh there's another beatles cover on there too right what's on there oh uh, yeah we can work it out yeah is, is there two or uh just, no just the one yeah just we can work it out yeah I felt but like, it's part I, of a different like that for me felt like contrived vanilla fudge yeah yeah but it, it's not wasn't bad though you know what i'm saying yeah at the same time i liked it for what it was it is deep purple you could tell but it's 
very much in the angle of Vanilla Fudge. I found that when they were writing their own songs, they tended to sound more like a later day Deep Purple, and that was something that I enjoyed. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, the B-side, though, on Book of Taliesin, oh, yeah. uh, that's, talk, that's let's the talk one about that, that it gets a little bit different. So there, I think you can kind of see John, um, yeah, John Lord's influence in uh, a classical approach, you know, um, like The Shield. The Shield is kind of like early proggy kind of a feel to it you know it, it, it and then into anthem like you're uh, getting a lot of procol harmy a little bit with sure like, yeah. yeah um i'd say that a little bit that kind of influence yeah and oh but and, like ta- mike uh so let's talk about like because you play guitar and yeah you're a fan of richie blackmore what is richie blackmore doing that other guitar players doing in in rhythm or in sync with with john lord and like Talk to your maybe because Mike is also a, a cello player when he was in high school. So maybe talk about like how like, you know, they're bringing more of a classical music because there's like there's some violins on, happening on this record. And it's really going to foreshadow what happens in 1969 when they end up playing with a full orchestra. So like maybe speak to that. Yeah. I mean, the, th- the thing is, is like when we were talking earlier uh, before we started recording the podcast, we were actually listening to this. And it really is kind of like where Bach meets the blues in a way. Uh, you know, John Lord has this very much like Bach organ influenced kind of way that he likes to play, but he's still a product of his environment, which is, you know, like the tail end of the psychedelic 60s. So things are still kind of like out there and getting kind of crazy and there's different textures and, and the blues influence in that rock scene of the late 60s is also there. But I would say that uh, where maybe later on where Richie Blackmore would go on to form Rainbow and then really kind of give you full force kind of the 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 Bach early kind of metal kind of thing going. Here we we see it kind of in its infancy where it's almost purer in the way that, because they have like stringed instruments on these recordings. I think it's The Shield, right? I think The Shield yeah, I believe is that the was one the that at the end of it or somewhere somewhere between The Shield and The Anthem uh had some, an, there's some orchestration that lines up with the guitar lines and right. the, the organ lines. Right, right. Record. And I think that with that, you can kind of see because later on, of course, when Ian Gillen comes in, we have an album with the, uh, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. And a lot of that stuff, I believe, is composed by John Lord. So oh, yeah, you can that, see that, that like, pieces. Yeah, that, that this, that The classical album, influence like is... is is coming in hard on Deep Purple. Like, yeah. that, that's where they're coming from. That's one of yeah. their backgrounds. Also, for me, as, like, you know, talking about, like, heavy metal as a genre of music, you know, mm-hmm. Deep Purple, for me, are, like, that band. Like, they, when I listen to uh, Richie Blackmore play, even on these records, for me, he's taking the guitar out of the blues, which is, like, the heaviness, you know? So, like, most yeah. bands in this period were kind of, like, doing the blues, heavy blues rock thing. You know, that even, like, Zeppelin was doing? Zeppelin was, like, mm-hmm. blues rock. But, like, for me, Deep Purple, when they were heavy, like, Blackmore was coming in f- and Lord were coming in from, like, the classical music sense. Yep. So it sounds like heavy classical music, which is sounds heavy. But it's in a, in a rock band setting with rock instruments. So right. you're getting that um, aesthetic coming out. And I feel like that's where metal really is born for me in the um, the soloing because it takes the blues out of it and it's still heavy. Yeah, and I think the way that when you listen to a lot of like uh, like heavy blues rock players and stuff, yes, the blues 
they can move you in a way. You know, there's a heaviness to it, even if it's just being yeah, played on an acoustic I'm, I'm, guitar. I'm not there's, you know, that. but what I'm saying is, is that, um, likewise, classical music, baroque music can use like these minor scales in a way that also kind of trigger a similar sort of emotional reaction. So when it's on a like a super loud distorted guitar and organ, it just kind of it brings this intensity to it, and I feel like it has a similar effect in that way, where it's like it causes the listener to have like an emotional sort of a response to it, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it's definitely cool like that. It's almost like how I was saying, um, you know, how, you know, we've talked about me listening to Cream kind of related uh, to jazz so I could listen to that. And I feel like Deep Purple even is like, if you like metal music and you're not really into like older style music, like Deep Purple is like kind of maybe one of those bands that you could get into because you like metal music. Yeah. You know, you could see it from that point of view. And even let's go back from the other point of view, what you were just stating is if you like Deep Purple, man, you might like some classical music, which is pretty, Absolutely. which is pretty cool. You know, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. how you can make those leaps and bounds and um, really get into different styles of music that make you, uh, you know, feel different ways, you know, because like some days, Mike, I do want to listen to classical music, but yeah. most days I do not. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, you have to. You, I absolutely agree. You know, I, it gives you a respect for it where you can kind of like uh, listen to it once in a while, even if it's not your favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it gives you perspective, too, you yeah. know, because that's because that's, that's old music, man. That's really old music. Yeah. And that's Baroque. And that's where Deep Purple is coming from. And they're and they're playing it heavy and fast and in a rock and roll uh medium so i feel like they're that's their texture and i feel like uh that's what's setting them apart from uh i mean you're gonna look online at the early deep purple records and the basic uh consensus is vanilla fudge but what's setting them apart i feel is their original music where they're playing in that kind of style right um yeah so you know the second album comes out and they get thrown in the United States. Now they get thrown on a tour with Cream. They get thrown on Cream's farewell tour. Um, I believe it starts on the West Coast. Um, and this is also in 68. So mind you, Shades of Deep Purple, 68. Book of Thousand, 68. This tour, 68. Busy year. That's what yeah. That's what they're doing. I can't imagine releasing two albums and, and opening up for Cream. So when they go to open up for Cream, though... <laughs> They're a young, eager band. They got a hit. They're really not, you know, they're going for it. They're full force. They're playing really well. And Cream knows this, so Cream boots them. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yeah, we're good, guys. Like, we're wrapping it up here. We're kind of, not to say that Cream were really bad in 68. You know, I've heard the recordings. They're cool. They are what they are, but they're different than, uh, you know, they're kind of maybe even themselves were admitting that they were phoning it at that point. But, uh. So they're kind of getting blown off the stage uh, by Deep Purple, which is a pretty cool story. And uh, Deep Purple continues their tour of the United States. Um, and they end up, you know, kind of wrapping it up and they come back home. Um, and the record company again goes, hey, we need another follow-up. You know, uh, Kentucky yeah. Woman was the follow-up on the second album, by the way. Uh and that's like their other take of a cover song. Hush was a cover song. Kentucky Woman is a Neil Diamond song. Yep. Um, it didn't fare as well as Hush. It, I think it got to, oh, I wrote that, 38 on the charts. So, oh, yeah. yeah so it, to have one single go to four and then the next one go to 38 is a bit of a... Yeah. So they're making a foothold, though, touring-wise, and they're getting a fan base there. But, um, you know, Kentucky Woman just doesn't do, do as well. So, again, I described this record company. They're like, 
let's get another product out, guys. Yep. So in 69, Deep Purple 3 comes out. Um, and they do a short tour of the United States. And then this is when the band really starts to to shape and move and change. Yeah, things get a little... Uh... Yeah. Things are a little different. Oh, okay. So we have another cool story about why this record company, this is when things start to really happen here. Um, So before this happens, um, Mike, have you heard of that uh, John Lennon album with uh, Yoko Ono where uh, they posed naked on the cover? It's yeah. called uh, Two Virgins, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've never listened to it, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the cover. Mike, you tell me that you've never sat down and listened to it. <sighs> No, but I, you have. I definitely have. Yeah, I know you have. It's not my favorite uh, Yoko Lennon piece. My Ugh. favorite Yoko Lennon piece is the one where they're, I think it's called Unfinished Music. I don't know what volume it is, but uh, <laughs> this is a, this is a bit of a, but it's a great story. There's a record of John Lennon and Yoko Ono just going, Yoko. And then she goes, John. And it's like <laughs> 12 minutes long and um, their hearts are beating simultaneously, like wow. recorded for like 50. It's amazing. And then they start screaming. I, th- I feel like that's the classic, uh, just because you can. Yeah, just because you can doesn't just mean you should. you should. But yeah, I've listened to it. It's, it's a pretty fun <laughs> listen, guys. Anyway, besides all that anyway, stuff. Deep Purple. Come on, stay focused. Deep Purple. This, <laughs> this record company. Okay, so you've heard of that record, you know, Two Virgins, right? So controversial because John Lennon is posing nude with Yoko Ono on the cover. Um, they give it to uh, their record label in America Capital, and they're like, uh-uh, no. Yeah, no not way. happening. Not even close. We're not releasing this at all. We've been fooled by the Butcher cover. So um, this record company, uh, company, Deep Purples, they go, oh, we'll release that. You're John Lennon. <laughs> We're broke, man. Let's send that thing over. Yeah. So they go to release this record, and – bunch of litigation happens you know it's like a p- pornographic so it's uh, all wrapped up in court and it really folds this record company so uh, now the only real money maker coming out is deep purple they're the biggest band on the label you know well again mm-hmm. but um so then deep purple three comes out and deep purple three i thought was a pretty cool record um yeah i dug that record quite a bit um there was a song i think there was a third track on that let me grab that real fast. Uh, where it was like a, a tape loop, and they the band built a song around the tape loop, which oh, was yeah. like soup. I thought that was really like uh, well done for the era. I thought it was a really cool song. Um, maybe it was called Fault Line. Is yeah. that a different cover? Is that a different album cover? Like an alternate cover? Yeah, yeah. It was called Fault Line, and uh, the drum track was recorded first with the organ and then it was reversed. So they like sampled like the drum track with the organ and then reversed it. So it was like, uh, it, it kind of sounds like a hip hop beat. And then the, like that, but, uh, you know, then like a heavy rock band comes yeah. over it and those like jams over it. Yeah. It's a cool album, man. Yeah. That was a cool song for me. I dug it. This was, um, my favorite of the, uh, Mark one era. So when yeah, we were same, talking deep purple, we were really splitting them into three eras mainly. Yeah. You have Mark one, which is what we're talking about right now, the first three albums. Um, and that is how you would categorize this band. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this record I thought held up really well. I thought it was um, definitely more in the Deep Purple sound. Um, yeah, I dug it. I really yeah. dug it. And it was good, man. I, I think it's it's a lot more... I, I think, think it's you... the most cohesive statement of the Mark One era. That's, that's really what I was trying to get at there. Yeah, and I think on that one, they're definitely on the trajectory that would lead... That would give us, like, in Rock and Fireball. Yeah. Um, 
also though with these records i find that like the production is a, a bit rushed like that is because i mean yeah. we're talking about the story of like release release the album emo yeah, material yeah. like that tape loop song it's cool but it's the product of like rushed but also that is kind of interesting too because then you get creativity out of how of you know necessity of needing something right. now and maybe that's the only option then you kind of just jump on it and it, it, it made some cool music yeah i think yeah yeah absolutely i would agree yeah um fans of if you're a fan of proto metal music if you're into like psychedelic music the first three deep purple albums are pretty easy to get to they're pretty accessible um and they're great fun listens if you're into that music uh psychedelic 60s music it's it's it should be right up your alley if you're not if you're not a metalhead these albums are still cool if you are a metalhead they're still cool too you know yeah no i agree and um it's uh, I don't know. It's interesting because uh, same here. I mean, I've been listening to Deep Purple for a long time. Uh, the Book of Taliesin, I I found that you know just one day, like in a dollar bin or a three dollar bin or wherever you know whatever. I I don't know. And I picked it up, and I'm like, oh, I. And obviously, I saw that the lineup was different and stuff. This is early when I was first kind of getting into Deep Purple, like heavy into Deep Purple. But I just I never really like to be honest. I never really gave it that much of a of a chance. Do you know what I mean? So what was interesting was going back and listening to them. It was kind of like I was rediscovering a band. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. I, it was a lot of fun, and it was cool just to hear, you know, the precursor to... The Deep Purple that was your favorite. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. made such a big impact on me, not only as a guitar player, but just how I listen to music. And then also, like, let's be real, you listen to Black Sabbath, and you're like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? But and then, then you listen to Deep Purple and you're like, oh, why is nobody like, oh, yeah, and like the same way? Right. Because that's for me what it really is. Like, yeah, I like kind of the... get I kind of get burnt out on people, you know, talking about, you know, Led Zeppelin this, Black Sabbath that. And I'm always like, man, Deep Purple. Older people, though, older people like, uh, you know, from the from the 70s, they'll they'll talk. Yeah. They'll, they'll talk for days about Deep Purple's legacy because Deep Purple was touring the United States and they were a big presence back in the day. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like a um a legacy issue where like you know what i mean because you know i was saying earlier that they they are still an active band and yeah maybe it, it does you know tarnish people to maybe get in they're like oh my god there's so much material oh my god that sounds like such a hassle to get into but it's such a you don't have to listen to all of it you can kind of pick your errors and maybe you know you stick to one for a little yeah. bit you get into another and yeah, man. i feel like they're a really important band in in in, mus- in the development of rock music you know and I, i'll i'll say too like i i think i like all variants of the band like i i don't oh, i don't I'm, even I'm i don't even mind too. when david coverdale comes in man and it like changes oh, again yeah and you're like, I, oh, i mean i can't wait to like even talk about that because that's you know what i mean yeah like, it's it's a there's just such an interesting story and uh you know i just feel like you know the really re- the reason we want to do this show is in a lot of the episodes that we really want to do is you know maybe talk up bands that don't have like the greatest legacy going on yeah you know yeah not nearly like i mean like this is this is for me at least because i'm an i i listen to the radio in my truck i'm a classic rock radio listener on my way to work because it's the only thing i got in my truck and i'm too lazy to put anything else into it but (laughs) so um i listen to classic rock all the time this is deep purple songs i hear smoke in the water yep on rock radio and then on the oldie station i get hush yeah i was gonna say yeah but that's only on the oldie station you know what i'm saying so it's it's very strange um and 
maybe sometimes I get Highway Star, but it's if I'm lucky. Oh man! But it's so exciting when you hear Highway Star on, like on the radio. You're I like, heard. Oh yes! Listen, man, I was doing yard work the other day, and I had like my my radio out, and I yeah. just had it on the classic rock station. Highway Star came on. I got so excited. <laughs> right? Yeah, man. Okay, that it's, was the other it's day. Such, it's a barn burner, man. It what is. a great song. And you know, that's guys. That's it's exciting for me when I get to hear a song I don't hear often on the radio. It's a yeah. really I don't know if anybody else gets that feeling. You hear like uh this one always comes on to me too. I'm a pretty big Danzig fan, so when I hear Danzig on the radio, yeah. that really makes me excited as well. Yeah. But Absolutely. back to the story of Deep Purple. So okay, so Deep Purple three is out now. What um what, what happens, Luke? What what, what like what Okay, is there, so Deep Purple Three why? comes out, the band goes back to America for about a month and they start to realize that they're having some issues with their membership so what really happens here is rod evans is kind of like i'm not really wanting to go in the heavier rock riffy direction that this band is going in right uh they're you know they're getting away from doing covers they're getting away from um their psychedelic kindness you know that's coming in um and yeah so really what's happening is the psychedelia is coming out the heavy riff rock is coming in and the singer's like, I'm not really super into that. And so they kind of just part ways with him. Um, and the bass player at the same time decides that it's not his vision either. So yeah. he beats feet too. Um, and this is where you get the most popular era of this band. You get the Mark II lineup. So Mark II lineup is new members being uh, Ian Gillen on vocals. Yes. Okay. <sighs> I mean, I love Ian Gillen. <laughs> I can't lie. <laughs> Ian Gillen on vocals is the real big changeup. Why is Ian so different? Like, what what do you notice instantly about him? Um, well, let's. I mean, <laughs> he's uh, he is not afraid to just do weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, like let me just his, say that. He's, well, his he's vocal a really, range he's a, is amazing. Yeah, his vocal range is crazy. Uh, and um, we get some shrieking. We get a lot of shrieking. We get a lot of um, kind of a uh, conversation back and forth between him and Blackmore, where Blackmore will play like a guitar lick or a guitar line, like a melodic line, and Ian Gillen, they'll trade it back and forth, you know, and then say Blackmore will play it, you know, a little bit higher and a little bit higher, and Gillen goes a little bit higher and a little bit higher, you know, and they go back and forth. It's... uh, it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, fun. A, it's another. It's the um. It's the metal. I feel like for me, it's the first heavy metal shriek. That's what it is. Sure, yeah. It's the. Ah! Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so heavy metal to me. Yeah, yeah. So that's him, and I feel like that's really why this is the most. Uh, I mean, probably the most classic era of the band, or the yeah. or the most critically acclaimed at that. Mm-hmm. Um, also stepping in on bass is uh, Roger Glover. Um, Roger Glover is going to end up being an awesome producer for this band. Um, he's yeah. also a pretty good songwriter and brings a lot of stuff in that uh, realm to the table. Yeah, yeah. Not um, to mention a pretty darn good bass player. Too. Yeah, he's a dope bass player. <laughs> Playing the Rickenbacker, man. Yeah. Great tone. Hats. Uh, yeah, crazy hats. Hats. Yeah. Um, also, look, guys, let's talk. About, okay, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but hats with Deep Purple. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, uh, because Richie you... Blackmore is wearing a pilgrim hat like all the time. <laughs> yeah like what yeah it, 
uh, very strange. Very, very strange. Yeah, Roger Glover's like wearing like a sack on his head. I'm like, what's going on, guys? Roger, well, the thing is, is Roger Glover's dressing like a flower child hippie kind of guy. And but then Richie Blackmore comes out and he's dressed like a pilgrim era wizard. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if Rick Wakeman was it, a pilgrim. Ian, Ian Gillen <laughs> comes out in his girlfriend's clothes, pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, wear like a blouse and women's jeans. Yeah. Ian strange Pace, times. Shorts, glasses. Yeah. See, yeah. Ian, listen, Ian Pace, he lets the drum and do the talking. He doesn't need, he doesn't need to rely on any sort of a fashion choice or anything oh, like that. That dude. Yeah, and let's let's talk Ian Pace at this point too cuz like um, you know, maybe on like the first record, maybe like a bit, you know, this is like okay, 60s drummer, but um yeah. I find him to start being really technically great. Um and fast, fast. 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 Burn. Like as good as as groovy as John Bonham was. Yeah. Uh Ian Pace was fast and like on point. And I feel like what Ginger Baker uh, did with two kick with two uh, bass drums, yeah, Ian Pace was doing with one. Yeah, and perfected it. Yeah. Oh, he is an amazing drummer. If you're into drummers, he is highly probably yeah. one of the most underrated drummers of his era. Yeah, Look man, he's up. right up there for real. His, some for of real. his drum solos are oh, they're just amazing. Yeah, don't sleep on Ian Pace. Yeah, and uh, again, we have John Lord making up. You know, yeah, the Mark II lineup of this band. So they go and they're kind of like, okay, so we just had a restructure and the band's kind of at a what do we do moment. Um, And John Lord steps up and goes, (laughs) I know what we'll do. What does he do, Mike? He goes, we're going to (laughs) record a concerto for group and orchestra composed by himself. By himself, John Lord, with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. And where do they play it? Um, where do they play it? Yeah, it's at the Royal Albert Hall, bro. Oh, yeah. Yes, the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. yeah. And let's be okay, so fair here. I listen to Straight up, it. guys. Like, I've owned this record a long time. And as I, we were preparing to do the show, I was, like, thinking really hard. And I was like, man, you know what? I don't think I've ever listened to this record. Yeah. Because I've only heard it's bad. And then I put it on, and... Pretty bad, guys. Pretty bad. It's pretty, and it's it's pretty, pretty bad. bad. Pretty avoidable. Yeah, I was just not a fan. I don't know. I gave it. A, I gave it a listen while, uh, like, while I was getting ready earlier today before I came over to to record and stuff. And yeah, I just and guys, I sat and listened to it. I don't know. twice in a row. I listened to it once and then I listened to it again. And it like, just yeah, one it after another. This is this is my takeaway from it. I would enjoy. I really would have enjoyed it. If they would have played like together the whole time. So if like the yeah. band was playing and then the orchestra was playing with the band. But what I found was happening was like they wrote a piece for the orchestra and then it like like uh almost like melded into the band playing for like two to five minutes. And then it would meld back into the orchestra playing and then yeah. meld back in to the band playing. And rarely did I find that they played together. So that was my like main critique um also the recording i don't know if it was the pressing i had i have like a late 70s warner brothers pressing of this album uh and the sound wasn't great um there's minimal ian gillen vocals and this is his first appearance so like that's not like a strong first outing for the mark lineup um and it finds them i feel like really confused um also to be noted that this was the last record that they put out on their u.s record label um and it was in the middle of folding because of that uh john lennon two virgins um controversy gotcha. so um when they were looking for a new record company when that was folding warner brothers was like yo boys come over here 
and they bought them out of their contract and ended up releasing the orchestra record. Um, it's actually pretty hard to find on that original label in America because I don't think a lot were made. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I have a late Warner Brothers pressing. Um, You know, this album is unimpressive. Yeah, me. it kind of just is what, for me, it just, it is what it is. It's like, but it, you know, you can, it is a transitionary kind of a record you know it makes sense in that way and it it is like let's talk about like the idea of doing it they were like one of the first bands to really play with an orchestra so like that's we're putting that there they're the first really heavy band to do it so that's pretty cool too yeah um but it's like a failed experiment you know but they really did like do something really ambitious and it really didn't pan out but you know what I'm trying to say is, you know, it, it, it's, a clap it's, for an yeah. ambitious try because it's crazy. I it's, can't, I can't imagine being abandoned and being like, yeah, we're gonna write a piece for orchestra and group. I'd say it's relevant in the way to where it has influenced lots of other bands after them to play with an orchestra, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was it was a home run. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. The I Metallica mean, album. I mean, I listened to that when I was like a kid and I didn't yeah. think it was lame. I thought it was a cool idea. Yeah, I was like, this is dope. Also, because, but but that goes to uh, Kiss Orchestra, guys. Kiss Orchestra. You want to get down with the kick Kiss Orchestra? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Don't even no. We can't go down the rabbit hole. No, I okay. have to veer the ship. So anyway, <laughs> I have to veer it back on course here. We start talking about Kiss, we'll lose the whole day. Um, so, although it is the first album to feature Ian Gillen, or I should say, the new lineup, it I wouldn't maybe necessarily count it as like okay, here's the first album with the new lineup yeah so let's talk about to the power structure at this point is really john lord was like i guess like kind of the guy yeah in the band he was like the guy and after this uh the tide kind of turns they were like guys uh john's idea wasn't great yeah uh anybody else got anything and richie blackmore really steps up and he goes yeah let's rock man let's rock hard and heavy and fast and we're gonna make this next album and it's gonna be all killer all killer, no filler. If it doesn't excite us and make us excited, it's not going on that record. Yeah. And that record is In Rock. In Rock. This, I this love, is really the first might be my, Mark, you know, Mark II record. I think this is my favorite Deep Purple album. Oh, it, yeah. It, it, I think it might be. It. I mean, I re-listened today, and it was just such a great listen. I love <sighs> every song. It yeah. was all fast. It was all heavy. Um. So let's talk about some some of the great songs on this record. You have Speed King, which is like um it's a um it's a redo of like all the old rock and roll lyrics. So he mm. takes like uh Tutti Fruity and like Little Richard songs and he he mixes them all into like a new heavy song and it's actually yeah. I'd say it's like proto thrash metal to me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely what the I song sounds that. like. Sure. Like bound down down down. Yeah. That's what I really get from Deep Purple. Deep Purple is throwing me like proto thrash vibes, metal vibes. Um, also, the other huge song on this record is Child in Time. Uh, <laughs> Mike doesn't like this song, uh, but okay, listen, I, listen, guys, listen. Live, it's a bit rough to listen to Ian Gillen. There's a part in the song where he goes, you're going to hear my vocals here, where he goes, <laughs> like that for like five minutes straight. <laughs> And it could be, it, it's a little rough on the ears, guys. Yeah, a little rough on the ears. But I I listened to the album in whole today, and I'm I'm here to preach that Child in Time is a great song. It's got great guitar work. It's a great structured song. The vocals are really cool. And Deep Purple in Rock played for me 
like one of the most classic rock albums of that period. Mm. Um, if you do, if you're into like Led Zeppelin one, if you're into, um, you know, Black Sabbath, you would be in the Deep Purple's in rocking to listen to it. Yeah, and if you if you get a chance, so when Speed King was released as a single, the B side to that single was a song called Black Knight. Oh, that song killer 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 song yeah i have like that that i think i have a record store day release one from like i don't know 2016 or 17 or something where they did the limited release it was on like that light blue you know sky blue colored vinyl and it's pretty cool i thought that was speed king in two different uh mixes right no it would this the a side is speed king and the b side is uh black knight that song yeah black knight too is the accompanying so this is also guys uh for Americans, this is the, what the practice was in the UK, really, at the time, uh, mm. which we really didn't have either. So let's talk to this because we haven't really mentioned this ever on the show is singles only. Uh, yeah. That's like wasn't a thing in America. If you had a hit single, they would put it on your album in America, where in the UK, they would release an album without the hit single and then release the single on uh, its own seven inch, right? The yeah. Beatles did this frequently. Yeah. All the time, and we, that's why we got chopped up Beatles albums in the Mer- uh, in America up till um, up till Sergeant Pepper's. So, um, yeah, but yeah, you get singles only, uh, like Come Together, or actually, that's not a single only. Let me try to think of a single only. Uh, Ballad of John and Yoko is a single only; was not released on an album, right? Like that, and uh, that's what Black Knight is in this case. To, yeah, it was released to only. the accompanying album in rock, which it does not feature, but. Uh, Black Knight was the first song for Deep Purple that was on the like really blasted them to fame in their own country in the UK and really set off a storm for them because they were like, oh yeah, we get this. This is like a more cohesive statement. We get we get you, Deep Purple. We really like you now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Black Knight rocks and Black Knight really does rock. Yeah. it's a killer tune. Um, oh, it's super riffy. It's I very, I would almost like... compare it to like. It's something that maybe, okay, if you're not familiar with Deep Purple, if you've ever heard uh, Black Sabbath's Evil Woman, it's kind of almost to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, killer solo on it. Yeah. Uh, the riff. Right. You know, it's, it's killer. Yeah, and it's the, a burner, man. I love that song. It's got a great organ sound, you know. It's yeah. just, it's a really cool record. It really says... Uh, and it, it was a great first single for the Mark II lineup of Deep Purple because I feel like it really set them straight on the path of this is what our band is. And, yeah. we're here and it to, works. Yeah, it you know? rocks hard. It really says who they are. And it really like sets them on that trajectory of being a hard rock, heavy metal band yeah. and being one of the first. Right. Um, yeah, so in rock, that's what happens. After in rock. Uh, well, also, let's talk, too, to their touring in the UK, because I feel like at this point, too, they're really starting to get going, um, touring in their own native country. As right. before, they were more structured as an American uh, entity band. Yep. They were now having success in the UK and touring heavily over there, um, as well as America. Uh, the in rock tour was a big tour for that band, and they toured on it for a while um, before the release of fireball which comes out the second record can we also just talk Guys, real okay, quick let's talk real quick real quick what I, album covers man 
my god with these album covers. Oh yeah, in rock. Let's talk about what what's on the cover of in rock. I mean, here. it's basically it's them. the Mount it's Mount Rushmore <laughs> with all the members of Deep Purple, which are five. Yeah, <laughs> five members of Deep Purple. So they had to add an extra head. It's amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, and then Fireball too, where it's like they're all they're okay. So let me let me describe this. Yeah. They, their heads are flying through space as if they're clustered together in a meteor. Yeah. Or a shooting star. Maybe a comet. A fireball. <laughs> a fi- really? <laughs> really. But let me just okay, say. Okay, so let's let's speak to the album Fireball here. The first track, though. Okay. I mean, coming in hot. That is, for me, coming that is in hot. thrash. That's... That is the thrash metal, like, arc, and... archetype song. Nobody was yeah. playing like that. Uh, let's, you know, talk about Ian Pace, man. Let's talk about well, it. Well, yeah, Ian Pace. And, I mean, just just... Uh, side note too, possibly one of my favorite first songs on an out, al- like an op, like an album opening song. Oh, it hits. That's like that's the that's the exact it kind of song. Up, it makes up for the drool that comes after <laughs> it, man. Like if you're talking like just man, buy, see, then it's buy a Fireball down, though, just you know? to listen to Fireball because it's such a good song. It, that's what I mean. The rest of the album is kind of a letdown, and it opens up with Fireball, and you're like, oh man, if this is a sign of what's to come on the rest of the album, this is gonna be a great album, and then but you're just also, like, it just loses steam so fast. Uh. The U.S. version of this album, okay, you do get another killer cut that's not on the U.K. album. Um, Mike, can you look this up? Because uh, I know Strange Kind of Woman, that's what we get on, which I think was a single only in the U.K. Um, I know we get that on the U.S. version of Fireball. Um, so I think we kind of get a chopped up version of that, which is also what we were just speaking to of, you know, record companies chopping up songs. Which was, yeah, I mean, ultim- that, I mean, very much common practice similar to like the first sabbath album where on the uk pressing we have evil woman and then on the u.s pressing it is uh wicked world World. oh so good um yeah i'm i'm having trouble over here finding uh well this guy like yeah all that stuff listen i'm not a researcher here all right luke's luke's the guy but while luke looks that up let me speak a little bit more to um uh, to this uh yeah i mean strange kind of woman killer i like no 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 that's the second song on the album so i'd say like all right first three tracks fireball no 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 and strange kind of woman great that's where you're like okay this is going to be a great album yeah okay so on the european press you're getting the song demon's eye and on the u.s press and canadian press you're getting the single strange kind of woman okay so okay. that's that's the only difference yeah um, and it's a it's a, a great follow up. Let's talk about that too. I mean, uh, "Strange Kind of Woman" is a great follow up single to "Black Knight." It, it's cool. It's in the same vein. Yeah, um, for sure. It's a great track. Like "Strange Kind of Woman" is killer. Like we're only really like kind of poo pooing "Fireball" because of like we really hate the song uh, "Farmer's Daughter." Oh on my here. god, it's such a oh, turd. no. It's called "Anyone's Daughter." Anyone's Daughter. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. It's like a country Farmer's rock daughter. experiment daughter. that does not play well uh, with the band. It's just yeah. It's weird. It's I mean, it was a risk. So like hats off for taking a risk. But like it was not. No, it's yeah, it's not great. But also <laughs> on here, you're getting uh, the great drum solo of the mule. Um, yeah, you're getting that their workout of that. So really like me and Mike are really just poo pooing one song on here that we don't like. Um, Fireball is a pretty great deep purple record. All yeah. in all. Um, yeah. 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 And if not just for the song Fireball, because it's so I mean, it's. Yeah, it's when I'm, so when, good. Like you'll listen to it, and 
all I can think of is Metallica. Like that's all I can think of. Like yeah. that and Ian Pace is playing single kick on that song. When you hear it, you won't believe it. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing. for a single kick, it's so fast. Yeah, single drum incredibly kick, incredibly fast, and it's just incredibly fast and really speaks to his talent as a drummer. And I yeah. really, if I could push anybody to get into him, he is just you know one of the best out there. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're going to wrap up the story today. So yeah, like Deep Purple really ascends up into being a heavy metal band. Um. They are bringing classical musical classical music influence into their uh, music, where a lot of people were basing their heavy music off of the blues. Yeah, um, you know, and up to this point, Deep Purple is getting, uh, you know, in the U.S. they have a lot of fame. Uh, in the U.K., they have uh, the Black Knight single, which uh, you know really ascends them into fame, and they followed up a Strange Kind of Woman, which is also a pretty big song for them in the U.K., and it really is doing well. Um, and the band's on the rise, so yeah, that's kind of the story of it. Um, like as far as the members changing, I feel like that can be a little confusing for people. But I feel like I hope like we talked it through where it wasn't really like that much of a like where you feel like uh, maybe like the first incarnation of the band isn't worth listening to because they definitely are, and I feel like you get yeah. a really cool uh, statement all the way through, and it is cohesive as a band. I really think it is a cohesive statement. Yeah, and like anything else, uh, musically, you know, you need the, you you need those precursors, you know, because what and what we're gonna pick up the next episode with, you get Machine Head after Which is the, the classic deep. That's like, the one. That the it best might be, album. That might be. Yeah. That. Yeah. Absolutely. So not. It might be. It definitely is their yeah, best album. Yeah, and uh, you know, we got. Um, Next episode too, we're gonna uh, really talk to what Deep Purple was as a live band because as a live band, man, uh, I feel like you had the Who, and then after the Who, I feel like Deep Purple really took the over as kings of the live, live the live band. show. Yeah, it's amazing, yeah. man. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I figure we're gonna talk to those points. We're also gonna get into uh, the Mark Three era next week of David Coverdale. So you know, nice. uh, stay tuned for all this fun stuff coming up but um as for right now mike let's uh what have you been listening to man yeah i was gonna say what are we, what are we listening to i was gonna ask you the same question um yeah well me lately it's been uh well uh, as a result of the last um the last podcast i did listen to some meat puppets oh really i listened to some meat puppets what did you listen to man um it's i don't know what's the name of the album um i think it's just yeah uh up on the sun, yeah. What do you think? Meat puppets too, because that's my jams. That's why I told you those. Yeah, no, they were. It's good. I mean, I for me, it's it's definitely like a time and place kind of a feel to it. You know, it, yeah. it's it's very much. How much did you hate the the drum production on Up on the Sun? Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> the thing is, okay, guys, it's like super eighties. That's my issue with it. Yeah. a lot of it. I like the music for me is so good, but um. I have a big problem with 80s drum production where I just really hate it to the yeah, core it's of my soul. Yeah, skated reverby and all that kind Ugh. of garbage. But um, Up in the Sun, I really love the album. You liked it, though? Uh, I thought Me Puppets yeah. 2 might be more your speed. Yeah, yeah. I def. I mean, yeah. I would say so. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it, you know? And I didn't... Because um, I couldn't remember who they were until I heard... Oh, uh, what's the song that Nirvana covers? Uh, well, there's three of them on Me Puppets 2. So, but... um, you uh. Uh, where the bad folks go when they die. die yeah that song um so yeah um i've also i know this is this might be kind of a curveball here but um 
uh, one of my coworkers and I were kind of getting into talking about Megadeth, and he's like, "Man, you got to listen to So Far So Good." So what? So I, uh, I've been like doing a, a little what, bit of Megadeth. So like, what era of Megadeth is this? Like, uh, this I'm is not ni- this super is, hip guys. Uh, so far, so good. So what is 1988? So it's still fairly early on. Like, it's not. Were you super into it? Yeah, I was into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it. Here's the thing, man. With Megadeth and stuff, like they take a certain box. So whenever I want to hear kind of aggressive, you know, crazy lead guitar-y kind of stuff, you know, it's it's a good go-to, man. You know, it's. I mean, I I went further back and I did a little bit of uh, what's that? P cells, but who's buying? Oh, uh, yeah, man. And um, I mean, that's the like really out to only Megadeth. I know. Uh, Killing is my business, and business is good. That that that's the that's the first Megadeth album, and it's pretty good, man. I mean, I'm into it. I think I think it would have been interesting to kind of see. Um, I know it's, it's kind of a silly thing to think about, but like, what would have happened if if Dave Mustaine never left uh, Metallica? Like, what oh. would have come of that? You know, because it's like you can't help but wonder. Because the first couple Megadeth albums are killer, man. Like, they're great. Like for what they are, they're exceptionally good. I can't really speak to my albums. knowledge of that, but I did see them when I probably like I mean, that's probably ten years ago at this point, maybe more. Actually, probably more. It's yeah. way more. It's probably. like fifteen years ago. Yeah, I saw them open up for. Uh, uh, the Dio era, uh, Heaven and Hell, Black oh, Sabbath. so good. And they were killer, man. Like, I saw them. I yeah. didn't know any, you know, I knew the, you know, Peace Cells. I also know, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Sweating Bullets is another one. Uh, Symphony of Destruction. Symphony That's, of Destruction. You know, you know yeah, the big yeah. songs and they play them and they're really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but the whole set was cool, man. Like, I enjoyed it and I didn't know any yeah. of the songs and they were a great band and super cool, man. David yeah. Stain was like, a, it was a lot of fun to see live. Yeah. A lot of fun. Um, so yeah, just that, and then uh, I've been do- I, I did a little bit of yes the other day Ooh, too, just to proggy. go into the start of the, did the you heart see of that, the sunrise. Did you see that thing I posted on Instagram? <laughs> like Roger Dean's doing oh, like yeah, live. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool, man. He, uh, yeah. So if you don't know, Roger Dean does all the artwork, most of the artwork for uh, the Yes albums, and uh, he was doing like live stream painting on uh, YouTube. He also does like yeah. the URI Heap covers, a lot of prog rock bands. And, yeah, uh, yeah. He's doing live paintings on Instagram, which was pretty cool, man. Yeah. I, I thought that was neat. If you're into that kind of music and the artwork. Yeah, man. Uh, how about you, Luke? What have you been listening to? Guys, let's, I, let's hear it. Okay, I'm not not trying to get out there, but I was getting a little out there this week with uh, my weird selections. So I found this record uh, by this band called Fire. Um, this album was released in 1968 on the ABC Dunhill record label. Um, they're an American band. Um, they're pretty obscure, and I'm not trying to be a little obscure. They're hard to look up on the internet because their name is Fire. How many bands were named Fire in yeah, the 60s? I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah, but the uh, this album is pretty cool. Uh, the band's named Fire, and the album opens up like a matchbook. Um, I've been digging hard onto this record. If you look up on YouTube, uh, Fire, uh, I Thought You Were a Lover. That is up on YouTube. You can check that song out. I really dug this song. It's yeah. and it's been stuck in my head. Uh, you know, I thought you were a lover. Look it up. It's uh kind of like Blue Eyed Soul. It's Blue Eyed Soul funk, um, psych, hard rock. Kind of a little like, bit of everything. Yeah, kind of. You know, um, almost. It's like um, you know, if you enjoy like that or the early Deep Purple sound, you will probably enjoy this. But it's more in the Blue Eyed Soul era. And what do you know? What year this is? 1968. So if you're trying to look okay. this album up, it's uh, Fire, and it's on the ABC Dunhill record label. In uh, was released 1968. Um, it's I don't think it's that expensive if you're looking to buy it on yeah. vinyl, and that's the only format you can get it on. So 
pretty much a bummer there for you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're real, we're real uh, vinyl listeners over here. Yeah, yeah. I've also been rocking the Beatles uh, bootleg album, Come Back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. You posted that the other day, right? Yeah, I posted that on my Instagram, uh, Julius underscore records. Um, so this record was originally the uh, Let It Be album. It was supposed to be titled Get Back um, hmm. after the song. Yep. Um, and this album was put together of, um, you know, kind of like demos and rough takes of the songs that were going to be on it, just kind of see how it would flow for the Beatles to listen to. There was four made, each Beatle got a copy, um, and they listened to it and went, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? But um, John Lennon traded his. Actually, it was kind of interesting in me looking up this record, was John Lennon traded a lot of Beatles rare sh- like stuff because he was like, I kind of want this thing from somebody else that like he maybe he was interested in that was rare and musical and he yeah. would trade. And that's why a lot of Beatles bootlegs got out. And that's how this one got out. So John oh, Lennon traded okay. his uh, Accelerate copy. And Accelerate is a demo uh, record yep. that um, isn't meant to last very long. So it came out. Um, and the Beatles heard it. John Lennon traded his. Um, bootleggers started bootlegging from this copy immediately. Um they got a reel-to-reel tape to America. A radio station played the whole reel of the album, and bootleggers got to work again and made the comeback album. And it's basically uh, let it be in a rough form. Um, it is easily available if you look it up online as comeback or get back. And it's a really cool take. It doesn't have the rough, I mean, the overly produced Phil Spector sound okay. of let it be. It's rough and more rocking. Um, there's cool takes on it. It's got Don't Let Me Down, which was the B-side um, that wasn't on the album. So that's pretty cool, too. I really enjoy listening to this record. I've been, I, if I, you can't tell from me just talking about it right now, I've been <laughs> obsessed with it, guys. I've been listening to it like crazy. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, it's the Beatles, you know. Yeah, so you can't go wrong. And you I, can't go I, wrong. You know, I've, I have listened to this before. I had um, like a digital copy of in high school of this bootleg, so it's very familiar with it already um not so much familiar with the history but um more familiar with the songs and the takes of it and uh it was really great to get it on vinyl and be able to listen to it and like hear it and you know just yeah really uh experience it in a different way and i was really happy about that nice so nice nice oh another thing we wanted to speak to real quick as well rest in peace to jimmy cobb yep drummer, uh, drummer on the seminal album kind of blue yes very sad very sad but i mean he was like 90 years old you know yeah, jazz icon, great jazz drummer. Icon. Yeah, great drummer, lived a good life. I mean, I don't know much about him, but I'm you just don't saying. know if he lived a good life. I don't know, <laughs> but like we're just you know we're throwing it out there. Lived a guys. long life. I'll say that he lived a long life. Yeah. He was like 91 years old, but um, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a better statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so rest in peace uh, to Jimmy Cobb. So uh, that about does it for this episode. Um, catch us on the next episode. We'll be uploading it next week, uh, either Monday or Tuesday, and uh, we are gonna then begin with machine head and what happens to deep purple uh as things grow and uh you know uh just the um how would you say you know what i would say mike the, well how would you say i would say uh all right hold tight <laughs> i'm a highway star <laughs> yes yes yeah 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 absolutely all right guys well thanks again for listening and uh, we'll see you next time take care get in the garage guys get in the garage This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, 
and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.